and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore a haunted house, a haunted tree, a haunted well, and best of all, a good old haunted castle with a rather unusual ghost lurking inside. And so, to begin at the beginning. And all of the cases on this episode come to us courtesy of one of my favourite ghost hunters, the late, great Peter Underwood, who, in the 1970s, went on a huge pilgrimage all across Wales, gathering tales, some first-hand experiences, others from talking to people. And on this episode, we are going to focus on a particular area in Wales. We're going to zoom in on a particular point of his pilgrimage, and we are going to look at the ghosts and folklore of Gwent. This is the spookiness that was reported to be going on in Gwent. And our journey begins in Newcastle, in Monmouthshire, not to be confused with any of the other Newcastles out there, in Wales, in England, of course, and elsewhere in the world. But in Newcastle, in Monmouthshire, Peter Underwood tells us that this Newcastle, about four miles north of Monmouth, consists of little more than two inns and a farmhouse. So when he visited in the 1970s, Newcastle consisted of little more than two inns and a farmhouse. But that farmhouse is very important for our purposes, at least, because behind that farmhouse, we are told there is a grass-covered mound dotted with trees that historians assure us was once the Castell March, which in English is the Castle of the Stallion, which was a Norman outpost of Monmouth Castle. And while this castle might have been covered by a mound, Peter Underwood tells us that when he visited, the moat certainly remained filled with water, even if little remained of the castle itself. It was just this this mound with a few trees dotted on it. But if the historians are correct, and this was Castellmarch, then that would give us a little clue as to the village's name. Because while the castle has long since crumbled away, it would, at some point, have been this outpost castle for Monmouth Castle, making it a new castle, hence the name New Castle. But this isn't the castle I was talking about in the introduction. This isn't the haunted castle we are going in search of. We're in Newcastle for what is behind this castle, behind this mount, because it is there that Underwood tells us we can find traces of a once famous tree, all that remains of the Newcastle Oak. The Newcastle Oak. And there are many famous trees in this part of the world, many of them, if you believe the legends, planted by Owain Glyndwr, the last native prince of Wales, who, if you believe all the stories, spent more time planting trees than repelling any invaders. But to return to this particular tree, because Underwood tells us that some 200 years ago, a mighty oak tree stood there, its girth nearly 30 feet. It was a tree that was remarkable for its hanging boughs and twisted branches, which gave it a fantastic appearance. And yet, as time went on, it began to look a bit 
sorry for itself. It was less fantastic, a little bit more gothic, a little bit more suited to this podcast, you might say. And it was, to quote, hollow and full of decay and much diminished from its original size. And yet, this was still a great mighty tree. And to illustrate this in terms we wouldn't really use nowadays, I don't think any of us would describe a tree in such a way, but when a huge branch was blown off the Newcastle oak during a storm, it yielded, we are told, no less than 15 loads of firewood, which I can only assume is a vast amount of firewood. So this thing, even in its diminished, poor-looking Gothic state, was still a tree to be reckoned with. Because not only did it look big and imposing and give lots of firewood, it was also magical, and it was protected by invisible spirits. Invisible spirits, and as such, that is why no one would ever dream of just chopping off one of these branches for firewood, because when it was blown off naturally, then it was great, they could go and scavenge it and use it, but chopping it off might bring the wrath of these invisible spirits down upon you. And if anyone was foolish enough to give it a go, if anyone did think, what the heck, I'm just going to walk up to that tree with a big axe and chop off a nice big lump for to keep me going for the winter, well, you would be punished with broken limbs and an early death which awaited anyone who harmed the tree. So it's not really worth it. For a bit of firewood, you could end up, or you would end up, with broken limbs and an early death probably not worth risking it. But if you've listened to a few of these episodes by now, I'm pretty sure you know that at some point somebody does indeed give it a go. And the fact that when Underwood arrived and the tree was no longer there suggested that somebody had certainly done something to remove it. And after a little bit of digging, it was discovered that in 1951, an F.J. Hando also went to the same site and recorded that the base of the trunk was sawn off near the ground. So somebody did, in fact, visit there a couple of decades before Underwood. They saw what little remained of this magical, spirit-protected tree, and they could see that somebody had effectively defied the warnings and sawed it right down as low as it could go. And we can only assume that whoever caused this vandalism while they might have enjoyed warming their toes over a nice roaring fire afterwards, probably did not enjoy the broken limbs and the early death that followed. Now, moving backwards a little bit from that mound, back towards the farmhouse, which we are told is called Castle Farmhouse. If you remember, Underwood tells us that Newcastle is pretty much this farmhouse and two inns. And Castle Farmhouse, we are told, also has some eerie associations. And by all accounts, once this farmhouse had an ancient well. And at least one local inhabitant who is described as a much-respected old lady said she had several times seen a ghost rise from the depths of that well that has since been covered over. So this well has been covered over, possibly because it was no longer in use and to stop people falling in, possibly 
to keep that ghost trapped inside. And I guess they both kind of go hand in hand, because if you do fall in, then maybe you'll just become yet another ghost that could come out and scare the older or the younger inhabitants. Maybe one day somebody will go back in search of this well, track it down and let us know exactly what's going on there. But moving on to our next haunted location, but staying in Newcastle, the next haunted spot in Newcastle. This might be a, a relatively small Newcastle compared to some of the much bigger cities and better known Newcastles, but there's no shortage of ghosts in this Newcastle. And half a mile down the lane from this farmhouse, there is an other well with other properties. And, and by properties, of course, that means spooky properties, not buildings and things. And this well is a wishing well, a good old wishing well, which might sound a bit more favourable than a well with some ghosts trapped inside it, or at least one ghost trapped inside it. But it is reputed to have seven separate springs and to possess an attendant spirit. So yes, it might be a wishing well and it might have all these springs. And yes, it might not have a ghost trapped inside it, but instead, it has a ghost waiting outside it, keeping watch. It has an attendant spirit. And these kind of ghosts crop up a lot in Welsh folklore, in Welsh ghost lore. These ghosts by the well. And they are usually there for a purpose. They usually have a reason to be of assistance. Even if it is a bit, a bit creepy having a ghost helping you when you might pop along for some water or whatever reason you are there for. Some people might be going to these wells to have their wishes granted, to cast a wish, to ask for a wish. And these assistants might be able to help them with the, the formalities of going through that process. They might even be able to stop them from doing something incorrect, which might backfire in some supernatural way. And I won't go into that in too much detail here because I have recorded a few earlier episodes all about the ghosts of wells and the ghosts of water. And if you'd like to know more, please go and check those out afterwards. Now, back to this episode. And with this particular wishing well, young people used to throw pins into the well, and as a result, their wish would come true. But sadly, people stopped using this service. Maybe maybe it didn't work. Maybe they were throwing all these pins in and getting nothing in reply. Maybe they were getting bad luck as a result. Maybe they were just doing it incorrectly. But for whatever reason, people stopped going to this well to wish. And to this day, or at least in the 1970s, nobody has any time for the spirit of the well anymore. This spirit, this apparition who kept watch by the well, who I am assuming offered assistance to all who needed it, who kept his watch diligently for so long is no more. Because of disbelief, we are told that this disbelief in the powers of the well led to nobody visiting and as such, the ghost's services were no longer needed. So we quite often talk about the more scary, the more terrifying spirits on this podcast. But in this case, spare a thought for this poor lost soul who simply moved on 
by the sounds of it, from, from lack of belief, from lack of interest. You wouldn't get that nowadays. This ghost has gone simply because people have no interest in going to see him. Now, moving on from the village of Newcastle, we have finally exhausted Newcastle for this episode, at least anyway. And we are going to head to the nearest big Welsh city. And that would be the city of Newport. And in particular, we are going to head to Newport Castle. So from Newcastle to Newport Castle, which is something of a tongue twister, which needs to be said quite carefully. And I confess it did take a few attempts for me to record that correctly. But from Newcastle to Newport Castle castle which is haunted we are told it's haunted by a ghost as as you'd expect every castle in wales is haunted by a ghost and there's a lot of castles in wales which means there's a lot of ghosts in wales but this ghost in newport castle is not your usual floating white lady or green lady or gray lady or whatever lady or whatever color she might be wearing in fact it's not a lady and it doesn't have a color in its name rather this ghost is a giant. A giant as in massive, it's huge, but not as in a fairy tale giant, at least I don't think so. In this case, this giant is simply a very, very big man. Something of a, a Goliath, shall we say. A very tall, towering man who is now no longer a man. A very tall, towering spirit. Now, Newport Castle is one of those castles that is very well situated for pedestrians, for people on foot, for shoppers maybe, although I'm, I don't think they thought of that when they built the castle, but nowadays it's very convenient because it's there as you head into the centre of town. And I was driving past recently and it's the kind of a, one of those historical attractions that you can see from the car as, you, as you're driving over the bridge into Newport. So I imagine a lot of people who have visited the centre of Newport have certainly seen the castle. They've gone past the castle, if not necessarily stopped for a closer look for a little bit of ghost hunting. So let's return to Underwood for a quick description of the castle and for a quick look at its history. And he sets the scene by telling us that. Oh, and just a quick reminder that, of course, this was written in the 1970s. I don't think the castle has changed much in a few decades. It hasn't changed much in a, in a century or so, I don't think. But this was written in the 1970s. And he tells us that the ruined castle, best seen from the bridge in the town over the River Usk, was constructed in 1171 by Robert Fitzhamon, the Norman conqueror of Glamorgan, and rebuilt in the 14th and 15th century. And this giant ghost is said to be in the central tower. So this giant, this ghost we're in search of, is said to be in the central tower inside that castle with its chapel and its water gate. And I should point out quickly, that is two words, water and gate, a gate for water, and has nothing to do with anything political. To the best of my knowledge, Richard Nixon never visited Newport. But moving on, at this central tower with its chapel and water, gate is reputed to harbour to this day the ghostly figure of its founder. So this gigantic figure, this towering ghost, is believed to be, at least this is what Underwood tells us, it is assumed to be Robert Fitz. 
Hammond. Robert Fitz Hammond, the Norman Conqueror of Glamorgan, who built this castle and many more buildings in the area, but built Newport Castle. And his ghost, if it is indeed his ghost, is described as an enormous, a fierce looking, regal figure glimpsed for a moment among the ivied ruins. Among the ivy, another wonderfully gothic image to conjure in your mind. He's there, oh so briefly, hovering around. Well, not not, not so much hovering around, towering and stomping around the place, if he is indeed a giant. But sadly, while the ghost has been spotted a few times, no one ever really gets a good look at it, because it's a ghost that disappears almost as soon as it is seen. But those lucky enough, or, or unlucky enough, I guess, to catch a glimpse of this this figure say he has a bearded face and piercing eyes. And as a result, they have never forgotten the experience. They have never forgotten those piercing eyes eyes. So that really is a ghost story that gives us a lot more questions than answers. We don't really know who this is. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know why they're so tall. But we do know that several people have reported seeing very similar strange apparitions lurking in Newport Castle. Now, moving on, and finally, to wrap up this little whistle-stop tour of some of the paranormal places in Gwent, we're going to look at a rather short and sweet but first-hand account of paranormal activity in a residential property in Newport. As we are in Newport, we're going to stay in Newport. We're going to stay in the 1970s, specifically 1975. And it was in 1975 that a letter was published in one of the British Sunday newspapers in which a local lady, a Mrs. J. Jones from Newport, a very popular name in that part of the world, a very popular name across all of Wales, I imagine, a Mrs. J. Jones from Newport. And she claimed that her five-year-old daughter called Tracy would wake up most nights after to, quote, a visit from a ghost. Her five-year-old daughter would wake up screaming in the nights after being visited by a ghost. And luckily, in this case, we have a slightly better description from them, from this Newport home, of what this ghost looked like. Because it was a little old lady with white hair put in a bun at the back of her head. And while Mrs. Jones hadn't seen her herself, based on her daughter's description, she knew full well who this ghost was. It sounded just like her grandmother. A grandmother who the child had never met, so she couldn't have been making this up and just describing somebody who used to visit her and now no longer visits her. She died a few weeks before she was born, and using my fantastic mathematical abilities, I would say that if this girl is five years old and it's 1975, let's say she was born in 1970, and if this old lady died a few weeks before that, she died in 1969 or 1970. Now, there is some good news. While this girl is obviously being disturbed while she's sleeping, which which isn't great, she isn't frightened by this spectral visitor. There is something that, and, and I'm using my own words here, I'm putting my own interpretation on it, this isn't made explicit in the initial newspaper report. But the impression I get is that the, the girl is is comforted in some way by this visitor. I, you know, I'm assuming she might be a little bit annoyed when she's feeling a bit sleepy the next day. But this ghost is not a scary ghost. Again, this is this is a great episode for, for quite, quite pleasant ghosts. But while she might be perfectly okay with this 
potential great-grandmother visiting her in the night. Her mother, we are told, whenever they speak about it, always felt the hairs on the back of her neck stand on end. There was something about this whole situation that she knew on some level this wasn't some random ghostly visit. There was some higher purpose at work here, and she felt the hairs on the back of her neck stand on end. And on that hair-raising note, we've reached the end of what I'm sure will be the first of many trips looking at the ghosts and folklore of Gwent, and we've reached the end of another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button and then you will never miss an episode ever, including, of course, any of those upcoming Gwent episodes. And if you've really enjoyed it and you'd like to support the podcast, you can treat me to a coffee via my website or you could just leave a nice review, a nice rating, tell all your friends about it and spread the word. If you'd like more Ghosts and Folklore, you can follow me on social media. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of books about similar weird and wonderful subjects which are available from all good bookshops offline and on. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian Amrando. I've been Mark Rees. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And remember, the next time you drive into Newport, Keep your eyes peeled on that mighty fortress because you might, just might, catch a glimpse of something gigantic among the ruins. It's probably behind the ivy. Until next time, no star. <laughs> <laughs>